welcome to our continuing 2020 educational webinar series. I'm Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. This webinar is brought to you by FIRST Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high quality complimentary educational resources. We help create confidence among healthcare compliance professionals throughout the United States. Please show your support by taking a few minutes to provide a review of FIRST Healthcare Compliance on places such as Google or Facebook. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or subscribe to our YouTube channel where you will find archives of our webinars. Today, we are so pleased to have Faisal Najee, CEO and Executive Director at TechUman, LLC, a company that focuses exclusively on securing health information by simplifying health care security for their health care clients. A seasoned C-level technology risk expert with over 25 years of experiencing, experience in developing and executing large information security and product development programs, Faisal brings deep knowledge of regulatory frameworks technology capabilities and process constraints to consistently deliver quality information risk management programs for large healthcare institutions. He has served as interim chief security officer for 21 and 14 hospital systems and has conducted multiple security risk assessments for providers of all sizes. At EY, he led a team to review and improve the security of an integrated managed care organization uh, EMR system with over 8 million members and 3 million health records. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with the button on the side panel or upper, upper panel of your screen. So, Faisal, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Catherine. Thank you so much. This is an exciting topic. It's a very exciting topic. And the topic on how you actually manage security for data analytics um, is what we're talking about here. And it's a critical element of actually making sure that data analytics succeeds in the long term. So, thank you again. And the questions I will answer today are really sixfold. First, what is data analytics? What does it do and, and why is it useful to us? How is it useful? This is where do we in the healthcare continuum might find data analytics to be of a special use? And if data analytics is growing and it's going to be so important to, to us, what worries about what worries us about security and especially privacy for data analytics that is when we use data analytics in a very heavy way what concerns should we face recall that without security you're going to have privacy 
and security and privacy are the fundamental tenets of the HIPAA security and privacy rule. Within security, there is a very important element of governance. That is, how should you govern a major effort like data analytics? And I stress this notion of major effort because, as you will see, data analytics is going to be a very big part of our IT infrastructure and our lives going forward. So governance becomes especially critical. And then finally, what I'd also like to do is talk about what's next. This specific area will be the focus of a webinar that will follow this one. So we won't cover much of what's going in, uh, what we need to do in terms of what's next. But at least I'll give you a sampling of what we're going to talk about in the next webinar, because those are specific security controls that we need to engender. For this webinar alone, uh, we're going to talk about governance uh, primarily. So these are the questions I will answer today. So what is data analytics and who really cares? Well, what is data analytics in the first place? It's really an assembly of very large data sets, data sets that might be resident in the finance office, in the HR office, in the clinical informatics office, or in revenue cycle, or in the nursing department, or in the lab, or radiology, or wherever it is. There are lots of places where data is being collected in health settings. The key about big data is that you merge all these various data sets and you analyze them to come to decisions. And that's the most important part, is you're bringing all kinds of data sets together, you're analyzing what this means using a range of tools and techniques, and then you come up with the decisions that make sense. A key problem, as I just alluded to, is that you see in any healthcare setting that there are many, many silos. These are called data silos. Each silo has its own way of storing data in a particular format or syntax. So pharmacies will have their own systems for tracking patients, what kinds of uh, prescriptions they've prescribed, what kinds of notifications they've given to the patients. If you go to a specialist, like an orthopedist or a um, cardiologist or a urologist, they will take specific notes. They will aggregate them in their own data system. If you're a radiologist, you will also do the same thing. If you're a pathologist in your lab system, you will also have a separate set of data. Now, all of these data sets really don't talk to each other because think of them as speaking a different language. So pharmacy speaks German, allied health services speaks French, the specialist speaks uh, English, the radiologist speaks Japanese, somebody else speaks Swedish, the private hospital. And all of these data sets, because they don't speak the language, they have to be normalized into something that everybody can understand. This normalization process, if you think about using language across the world, People have settled on English as the lingua franca for the rest of the world. So what we really have to do for data analytics is create a lingua franca that everybody can understand. So like a Swede would 
speak to a French person in English, and both of them would understand because they both understand English, but they don't understand their own the, the counterpart's language. It makes sense to really normalize all data into a single language or syntax that everybody can understand. And this is what's been happening in the last three to five years, is the ability to merge these data sets. So having now known that we can actually merge a wide range of disparate data sets in healthcare, mixing pharmacy information with the electronic medical record information, some patient information, specialist information, some lab information, all that information now can be aggregated in a systematic approach. And this is important. It's a very systematic approach because you're using very complex mechanisms, mathematical mechanisms to really develop your system. But whatever the case may be, however you develop your system, there are two major dimensions to this. Why data analytics is, can be useful in healthcare. One is to improve care. That is, we can use data from a wide range of data sets to really improve care for our patients. The second thing that we can do using data analytics is reducing costs. So let's take a look at some examples in health system management. If I'm a certified, if I'm a CFO rather, uh, financial officer for a large entity, say I'm running 20 hospitals, I have 20,000 employees, I need to understand where to invest my next $3 million. Should I buy an MRI system or should I buy 20 more ultrasound workstations? Because they cost about the same, which will give me more benefit. So then you have to look at, as a CFO, where is my most amount of revenue or where can I save costs? Where can I save these things or save costs or improve revenue by choosing either an MRI machine or 10 ultrasound machines? What's better? This is what data analytics can help the CFO do. Let's come to patient engagement, which is the next uh, potential area. Patients are really need to be engaged in today's environment very closely with their caregivers. It's called this notion of patient-centered care, which everybody knows about. And this is particularly useful in chronic disease uh, care. So for example, if you have kidney failure or you have high blood pressure or obesity or diabetes. It's important for the caregivers to get really real-time information or very good information on whether the patient is actually following the type of care that is prescribed to adhere to. Is he taking his medications? Is he exercising? Is he losing weight? What is he eating? These kinds of interactions to caregivers from patients can really, really help. And they're coming from a range of data sets now, data sources. They come from Apple Watches, they come from Fitbits, they come from health rate, heart rate monitors and so forth. So all of this data is now being aggregated and being used to really improve patient engagement. Another area that's particularly useful is spending. Again, we talked briefly about the CFO, but how do you spend money accurately? Let's take an example of a hospital in area A versus a hospital in area B. 
if both of them are doing a hip transplant or a hip implant, um, how much does it cost in Hospital A? If you find that Hospital A has a very large discrepancy for that same procedure than Hospital B, we need to know why. And again, here you're aggregating very large amounts of data sets to understand where you're spending more money than you should for a particular type of protocol. You might find that certain doctors are over-prescribing medications or over-prescribing procedures or whatever it might be. So this is a clear example of how you can reduce your costs and improve your quality. Another area, and of course, the next area that's really important for improving care or in reducing costs is understanding diagnoses. Um, are we really diagnosing people in the right way? Can we merge data sets to really provide us better diagnostic treatments or capabilities? And that's clearly a part of what data analytics can do. Now, I'd like to talk briefly about what is accelerating data analytics use. I mean, why did we five years ago really go on this bandwagon of data analytics use? Well, the simple answer, it simply wasn't there. The capabilities were not there. So there are four things that are really going on right now that really are driving data analytics use. The first is a vast set of tools that now provide the capability to efficiently merge and subsequently analyze large data sets. This is important. Merging and subsequently analyzing disparate large data sets to provide meaning from a vast range of data is now finally possible. This is because we have quite a few very clever people who have developed some really interesting tools, and these are some visualization tools and other kinds of tools. The second area why, second reason why data analytics use is increasing so much is because advances in basic AI research are finally bearing fruit. Companies such as Google, Microsoft, IBM, and Amazon have spent billions over the last 10 years, 20 years, investing in AI research. And this is finally bearing fruit in terms of new models, uh, new approaches to learning. And Google, for example, has something developed something called TensorFlow, which is widely used as a learning uh, model for data scientists worldwide. It really is catching on fire. Another area where with, that causes data analytics to really accelerate is we are now seeing advances in computer power and software. Specifically, there's a company called NVIDIA and others who make what are called graphical processing units, which are different from the chips that Intel makes for your regular computers. But these new brand of chips really allow you to crunch very large data sets. And they provide affiliated, associated software to data scientists so that it makes it easier for them to understand how best to create data analytic models. So advances in computer power and software, which are really being seeded worldwide now in research institutions and in hospitals, so that there will be an avalanche of new young people using data analytics techniques is really bringing data analytics to the forefront. Finally, you have dropping storage and communication costs. 
in the past, maybe even five years ago, you'd pay Google or Microsoft for storage, for storing your data. Now they give you storage for free with your Microsoft 365 uh, uh, subscription. So clearly storage costs have dropped significantly. And this is important because when you're dealing with very large data sets, you're dealing with large amounts of storage, computer storage that's required. In addition to storage, however, also our communication costs have been dropping. So transferring a bit from point A to point B is significantly less costly now than it was five years ago. So all these four things that you can see have really accelerated. Again, first, the ability to merge large data sets. Second, basic AI research from very large institutions like Microsoft and Google and IBM. Third, advances in computer power and new chips and software that can crunch large data sets. And finally, dropping storage communication costs. I really want to focus on this slide because there's a lot of misconception. You know, people think AI is one big blob. Well, actually, it's not. AI can be separated into many areas. And this slide I wanted to show you uh, displays where healthcare is using data analytics, which branches of artificial intelligence are using uh, analytics. And you find that it's mostly machine learning. This is a new set of capabilities which act on very large data sets, and they provide insights. These insights are called deep learning, and machine learning is the overall large term. So I want to make sure that you don't misunderstand this as being part of natural language processing, which is also part of AI, an expert system, which is also part of AI, or vision or robotics, which is also part of AI. It's a specific branch of AI called machine learning, and uh, this hopefully will get you less confused when somebody's talking about AI uh, in general the next time you talk to them. One other specific point I'd like to make is that, you know, we've been using artificial intelligence for a long time already in healthcare. If you take a consider that Nuance, which provides medical transcription software, and many of you in healthcare know this as Dragon, that uh, allows a doctor to transcribe his notes by speaking into a recorder, which then takes that information and digitizes it and sends it to the electronic medical record. This medical transcription capability is really speech-to-text and is a kind of artificial intelligence. But it's the only kind of artificial intelligence that's been used in the recent past. Now, however, we're getting into machine learning and deep learning. And this, these techniques are going to be the cornerstone of what happens in AI for healthcare going forward. So who cares about data analytics? I mean, who really cares? Why should we care? I mean, we've given you some inkling already, but our view is that everybody should care about it. If you think about what we're trying to do in a healthcare ecosystem, we're trying to have patient-centered care. So everybody in the healthcare ecosystem, whether it's the hospital, whether it's the pharmacy, the physician office, the emergency medical people, palliative care people, community support organizations, all of these people can benefit from data analytics because everyone is part of the healthcare ecosystem. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to do two things. We're trying to save costs for the patient and we're trying to improve care. We're trying to improve the quality of care. So everybody 
should care about data analytics. <coughs> Pardon me. These are some examples of how data analytics has really moved forward. <coughs> the first thing is that it's data-based quality care. So for example, one thing that's been happening is that hospitals may have different in, uh, rates for infections from sepsis, uh, and we might want to understand why. And here, we can compare results from a wide range of hospitals. What are different hospitals doing for sepsis control? Are there things that we can learn from different hospitals? And the answer is obviously yes. You might find that certain hospitals are using different protocols for sepsis or some other care uh, protocol. I'll give you another example. Retinal scans are now being done by Google's artificial intelligence program, and they can provide better viewpoints on macular degeneration than regular in-house visits by an ophthalmologist. Now, of course, these still have to be validated, but this is an early stage example of where things can really improve. Another area is if you consider IBM Watson, which has scanned millions of x-rays, what they're finding is that some, IBM Watson's uh, technology, which is data analytics technology, they can identify lesions sometimes better than the best of the best radiologists. So for particularly problem, problematic lesions, you might you know, want to apply a decision support system that supports the decisions of the radiologist, and this decision support system will use data analytics. Another area that is particularly useful is better scheduling and staffing procedures. When, you're, when you are admitting people to the hospital or for any procedure, you need to have nurses and staff and resources such as operating rooms and so forth. Well, it's very difficult to coordinate if you're dealing with six or seven different variables. With a data analytics program, you can apply specific mathematical uh, analytics to identify what's the best time, what's the best staff, and what's the best place to, for a patient to receive their care. Wouldn't that be better? It, it results in easier appointments. It results in better processing of insurance, less mistakes made in billing and coding, and it also gets providing better referrals. We also briefly talked about providing patients with personalized treatment. Again, chronic diseases eat up most of our money in healthcare in the United States today. So if you can improve personalized treatment for patients in the areas of diabetic, diabetes, in the area of obesity, in the area of high blood pressure and hypertension, that would be remarkable. And where will we get this data from? From the patients themselves. They're wearing Fitbits, they're wearing Apple Watches, they have heart rate monitors and so forth. So forth. So there are patients that can get very personalized treatment from data analytics. Obviously, there are things that you can do on a global scale with very large population health sets. And this, you can reduce readmission rates for people who have maybe had a recent uh, operation for inserting a stent in their cardiovascular system or for dialysis patients. Whatever the case may be, you can reduce 
readmission rates by analyzing large sets of population health data. So again, you can see that there are some clearly very major capabilities that data analytics can provide. So we found that we understood what is data analytics briefly. We found areas where it's kind of useful. There's clearly many more areas that I've touched on here. There's hundreds and hundreds of capabilities that data analytics is providing. And I'd urge you to go and take a look at uh, this research, some more about where data analytics is useful to just find the tremendous, tremendous progress we've made in healthcare using data analytics over the last five years. But all this said, what worries us about security? Because if you are dealing with data analytics, you're dealing with very, very large amounts of PHI, which is data, moving at very high velocity to many users within and external to the enterprise. Let me reiterate, you have a very large number of databases with ePHI. So each database may have millions of records. Second, you might have many third-party interactions to facilitate the data use because you might get data from some other hospitals or from Anthem or some other insurer that they have that you can use in your own provider settings to mix and match and get insights by merging these data sets from third parties. Third, these massive amounts of data sets moving at very high velocity, because they are so large, any kind of breach will be large and will result in hefty fines. This is a particularly important item I want to stress. And then finally, our security concerns also rest on the preponderance of analytics tools. Each have their own permissioning and authorization processes. I want to emphasize here, there is a preponderance of analytics tools because a lot of hospitals are now getting on the bandwagon, but because they're getting on the bandwagon in a really nilly way and not in a thoughtful way, there is a preponderance of analytics tools, <clears throat> each with their own permissioning capabilities. This causes a very large, complicated mess on who is allowed to see what information, who is allowed to authorize somebody to see that information. This complication then really results in a security weakness. So again, to summarize, we have an, quite a few concerns for data analytics, ranging from the large number of databases within use, the third-party interactions, and the sheer fact that any breach will be very large. Finally, there are lots of tools already being used within organizations that, don't, that aren't being used in the correct way. And that's by, mean, by that I mean they, they don't have a good handle on who has permissions and who has authorized people to view this data. Power BI, ClickView, Health Catalyst, and Tableau are some names that you will see uh, bandied about as you go forward in uh, your own discovery of how data analytics is being used. But these are some interesting tools. <clears throat> so, pardon me, I'm just going to take a sip of water. One thing that's critically important is because you're dealing with these very large data sets, if you have a breach, you are liable for the breach of probably thousands of records. And if you consider that you'll be fined on a per record basis, 
your fines can be fairly large. So in 2019, these were the fines. You know, this is not all the fines, but these are some of the fines that were levied to people. And some of them are levied to small institutions. Oh, my God, an ambulance center or a dental associates or an Indiana Medical Records Service. So nobody is immune from security breaches and nobody is immune from fines. So it's very important to recognize that as you open up your data analytics efforts, as you progress, that security is paramount and you cannot escape from security. You have to have a very good security posture. The security weaknesses we see really must be addressed by four things. Of these, the last three are going to be a topic for our next webinar. But this first one, which is the data governance strategy that provides an overall framework for managing all your data analytics efforts is the most vital. Again, the data governance strategy that you must have for your data analytics efforts is the most vital thing that you will develop. Obviously, if you think about it, you will have already some servers and communication links and firewalls and switches, which is your IT infrastructure that you will have to enhance. In addition, you may take a look at some of the applications that you're using and whether you have good database security and how people are getting permissions. And you may also have to worry about how third-party interactions occur and how to manage these. But these, these latter three, all rest on your having a very good data governance strategy. And so what is that? And why is governance critical? So what is data governance? Data governance is simply, I'm gonna read this, it's a comprehensive effort. Again, I'm gonna repeat, it's a comprehensive effort to steer correct development and use of all corporate and any externally available data. What this means is that you will be using a lot of your own internal data, you'll have external data, and because this is going to be a comprehensive effort to really reduce costs across your system, your healthcare ecosystem, or it's going to provide better care through better quality for your patients, this is a comprehensive effort. And what you have to do is you have to approach process requirements, you have to approve and develop policies and procedures on how you're going to handle very large data sets. You're going to have to figure out what tools you need to adopt and what are your target areas right for data-driven insights. Should it be first in clinical informatics, should it be revenue cycle, should it be resource scheduling, where should it be? Another element of data governance is you have to make sure that the data that you're collecting is good data. As we've always known, garbage in, garbage out. The data that you put into your data analytics tools sets must be of high quality. And so your governance should ensure that whatever techniques you're using to collect your data, you're always collecting high quality data. Finally, data governance really means that you've got to develop a culture that focuses on this mindset of data exploitation. If you don't believe in this, then your data analytics successful, your data analytics efforts are not going to succeed. You have to have a mindset for really recognizing 
that there is gold in them, our hills in data analytics. There are nuggets to be found by actually mixing large data sets and analyzing them and yielding insight from them. There's a lot of gold to be found in Zemdar Hills in data analytics. Now, because it's a comprehensive effort, our view is that the steering committee should really be led by the CEO. Ideally, it's the CEO, because this will probably be the most important initiative that he will or she will support in the next five years. I guarantee you it, data analytics is the most important issue in the next five years. So if it is, then the CEO ideally should lead this. But while he's leading it, he should have considerable support from the CIO who understands your information infrastructure, from your clinical informatics persons, who understands how credit protocols can be changed using better data, by your general counsel, who prevents you from falling into problems with legal questions or legal issues, and then finally from your privacy and security officers who really know how to think about security within an organization. So this should really be your steering committee. This picture provides a little bit more detail on what this should look like. Again, as I mentioned, the executive board and the leadership should be the uh, people who drive this effort. And the executive board is clearly the CEO, the CIO, the general counsel, and probably a couple of other people, maybe the CFO. Then you have the data governance committee. And here, clearly, the privacy and security officers, as well as senior people in various functional groups, should be part of the data governance committee. In fact, the executive board and leadership and the data governance committee might be the one and the same thing if you're a small organization. And that's fine. But the next set of people who are the data stewards, as we're going down, as you see the arrow on the right-hand side, data stewards are extremely important. Data stewards are those people who lead very large groups within the organization. So it might be the chief financial officer. It could be the head of HR. It could be uh, the head of clinical informatics. These folks are responsible for the actual data that they are using. And so they have to be on board to recognize how to change processes as you move towards a data analytics function in a big way. So data stewards are extremely important. They're typically also known as business owners of the data. Next, you have data architects and programmers and database and system administrators. These are obviously the technical folk who will develop the capabilities for you to use data analytics. And then when you move to data access controls, it's the security folk working with the data architects and the database system administrators and the data stewards, guiding them on the types of controls to use. Finally, the data lake or the warehouse is simply where every piece of data is stored and uh, so that all different data sets can be merged meaningfully. Again, this is a very technical component as well. So just to summarize, the first two aspects, the executive board leadership and the data governance committee and the data stewards are not very technical in nature. They're just guiding on what needs to be changed and they're listening 
to the architects and the architects are listening to them. So it's clearly a very two-way type of flow that needs to occur. So what's next? Well, we've talked about why governance is critical, but in addition to governance, later on, there are some very technical and, and other aspects, physical aspects, and even administrative aspects of core infrastructure security that need to be done and managed. So servers, communication links, such as your AT&T links, your firewalls, your switches, your endpoints, that is your computers, your mobile devices, all of these have to be patched and monitored. Patching and monitoring especially is vital because this is typically not done and this can lead to significant breaches. Application and database security, again, we want good, clean, secure code with appropriate access permissions to any particular database or sets of databases that people might want to use. Recall that once data analytics gets out of the bottle, this genius gone out of the bottle, everybody who wants to get better decisions in the organization will start using these data analytics tools. So appropriate access permissions is extremely important. And finally, because you're going to be dealing with a lot of third parties from whom you either get data or, who from, or to whom you send data, monitoring and management, managing these third-party interactions are particularly useful. So these three things are obviously aspects of the webinar for the next time, uh, our next webinar. But uh, this brings us then to our conclusion of today's webinar. And at this point, I'd be happy to take any questions. Thank you. Questions, thank anybody? You. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. So we do have a few questions that have come in. And if we have time, um, I was hoping that we could entertain a few. So um, yes. the first one is, the more data we collect, the more concerned we should be about what data is appropriate and how it should be analyzed. What are the ethical privacy and legal issues to consider? Ha, huh. that's a very good question. What are the ethical privacy and legal issues? So let's look at the ethical issues. The ethical issues mean sometimes you're using somebody else's data. You might be using somebody else's data. That's one ethical issue. The privacy issue means that you're using a lot of data and you never want to actually make sure this data gets lost. Um, and the, what was the third piece? The ethical pri uh, privacy and security issue related issues? Correct, yes. Which, yes, security related issues are options that you don't want to get into a breach because if you do get into a breach, you're going to be facing significant fines. And also, but we also think, yes, and also think about, I mean, think about the ethical nature. You're handling sacrosanct data. Would you like it for any data that, say, of your family to be leaked out to the public that you know that several of your family members have AIDS or herpes or something like that? No. Keeping your data sacrosanct is a vital component of what we, what's important. And so in data analytics, we fundamentally have to emphasize that the only way you can get into good data analytics management is through first developing a good data governance structure and then improving the controls that you have. 
I hope that answered your question. That that did, that did. Um, Okay, so the second question I have here is, in your opinion, are organizations, are they prepared for cyber attacks as we uh, gather, uh, as we um, gather so much data? So we have so much data. Um, Do you think these organizations, are they ready? Are they prepared or, or not? That's a really unfortunate question to have asked because the answer is no, we're not prepared. Uh, mm-hmm. Breaches are rising steadily. We do a lot of assessments and we find that security assessments, even basic core controls are often missing, even at larger hospital systems. But um, this is an area of significant concern. And as you've noticed in um, the number of breaches just keep rising. It's not even a linear rise, it's an exponential rise. So this means that we're not really doing a good job of handling data. And with data analytics, this problem becomes more severe because now, if you recall, our data sets are much larger and we're sending them around at higher velocity. So when you're doing that, there's obviously more chance of data being hacked. True, so true. And so what are the security gaps in in our current approach? The security gaps in your current approach have to be addressed through a, a, a rigorous and systematic assessment of your control posture today. This means, and under HIPAA, it means requiring an assessment of your physical controls, your administrative controls, and your technical controls around the data that you have. What are physical controls? Physical controls are things such as, do you have cameras outside your data center? Are your front doors locked? Where are you have very large tape drives unlocked and not stored in locked cabinets? This, these are, these are uh, physical controls. On the administrative side, if you don't have policies and procedures that reflect that your employees need to be very careful about handling data, that you don't have a business continuity plan, that you don't have incident response plan, these are administrative controls. And if you don't have those, you must have those. On the technical side, do you have adequate antivirus? Are your firewalls correctly uh, configured? Do you patch your operating systems on a regular basis? Those kinds of things are technical controls. So in general, when you're dealing with your own organization, you have to assess your physical, administrative, and technical controls. And it doesn't have to be an expensive deal. Depending on how large you are, if you're a one-person doctor, it may only cost you two, $300. If you're a large hospital or hospital system, obviously that cost will be slightly bigger. But remember, you're required to do this under law. You're required to do, to do a security risk assessment every year under the HITECH Act, uh, which is an extension of HIPAA. So it's important that you do a risk assessment, recognize what your baseline controls are, and see how you can improve them going forward. Great. So um, we have another question um, along those lines. Uh, it's Should we be looking at a new role in the organization such as uh, a chief uh, data officer, chief data officer? That's a very, very subtle and very important question. The, the short answer is yes, but the long answer is maybe. 
And the reason why is that role is typically the role of the CIO. And if you try to usurp his role, uh, you may get into conflict. So the chief data officer has probably a larger role than the CIO in that there are lots of legal and privacy implications and partnership implications that may not be the purview of the CIO. But the CEC chief data officer has that purview. Um, so it all depends on how your organization is structured. For very large organizations, I would absolutely insist that a chief data officer is, is required. For smaller organizations, that can be absorbed either by a combination of the chief information officer and or the chief security officer working with the legal counsel and the chief privacy officer. I hope that answered your question. I wasn't trying to evade anything. No, no, no. That was great. That was great. Um, okay, I have another question here. Is data security a question of managing risk? Of course it is. Uh, data security is a very important of managing risk. If we think about risk in a very broad terms, there's financial risk, there's operational risk, and there's compliance or legal risk. So if you have a breach, clearly there's going to be a financial hit to you, so there's clearly financial risk. If you have a breach, you might not have applications that can start up, or you might be denied access to your email system, so you can't do work. So that's clearly a financial hit, but also an operational hit. And then finally, if you have a breach, it's a clear compliance risk. And, you know, you might be fined by the Joint Commission or by the Office of Civil Rights or whoever it is. So, yes, security risk falls under each of those three major risk components, financial risk, operational risk, and compliance risk. And so, yes, it is a very key component of managing risk. Okay, great. All right. Um, well, thank you so much. Do you have any other words of advice or anything you wanted to leave with us as we get close to wrapping up here? Yes. Uh, I, if you, any of you have any questions or concerns, I recognize some of you may be small practices and you're worried about how to meet compliance. I can say, especially for the smaller health entities on this call, that it's not rocket science and don't be scared. And it can be done in a very cost-effective, low-cost way, but it has to be done. So thank you very much for your time, and I really appreciate having had the opportunity to speak to all of you today. Thank you. Wonderful, and we look forward to the, um, the follow-up webinar to this um, happening uh, next, um, the next time that we have our webinar, so I appreciate that. So um, looking to the follow-up on that so, so much. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Faisal. So I appreciate that. Um, so thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And um, attendees, make sure that you um, uh, take advantage of downloading the uh, a PDF of the slides here too. So you have contact information and uh, the information here and be sure to sign up for the, the next webinar and, um, and uh, any of our other webinars there. So um, use the contact information for any questions. Um, if you think of any later, you can send us questions and we'll forward them on as well. Uh, remember that your PACOM and your PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can also register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com 
or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.